When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to episode 10 of the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. How you doing, brother? I mean, you got the highs and lows all in one weekend. We sure did. It's been a hell of a month this week, I would like to say. Um, we'll start with the positive. Izzy Abanacanda breaking Tony sets. Single game rushing record at Pitt. It was absolutely amazing. Electrifying performance at Acrisure Stadium. Uh, six touchdowns, tying a school record that is 122 years old. Of course, dating to 1910. And then, as you mentioned, there were also the lows of the week, which we'll get into shortly with the situation involving Dior Johnson and everything that's going on there. Well, maybe that is where we should start, because when things like this happen, Corey, let's be honest, it's a black eye on the entire school, and it it makes everything take a backseat to it, you know, including something amazing like Izzy Abandacanda setting a record that Tony Dorsett held, you know, innocent until proven guilty, all that stuff applies, of course, but I mean, tell us what you know, because I know it's an evolving story. Well, what we know as of now, and we are recording Sunday morning, is Pitt men's basketball freshman Dior Johnson, of course, the feather in the cap of Jeff Capel and his recruiting classes among his tenure at Pitt, the best recruit he's ever brought in, one of the top recruits that's ever declared his intent to play at Pitt. He is currently suspended indefinitely from the team. And to my knowledge, he has been released after posting bail, a $25,000 bail, because he is facing five charges currently, two of them of the felony level, three of them on the misdemeanor level. He is facing charges of aggravated assault, strangulation, unlawful restraint, simple assault, and false imprisonment from an incident stemming in early September on the 3400 block of Forbes Avenue. There was a criminal complaint filed on Thursday on Johnson uh, into Pittsburgh police, of course, and I'm not going to get into the details because, quite frankly, they're disgusting and gross, and I never want to have to put that into the air for anybody to imagine. That's just how heinous they are. So if you want to read them for yourself. It's out there if anybody wants to look it up, yeah. If they're out there for yourself, you can t- you can take a look. They're on uh, our website, of course, dkpittsburghsports.com. But first things first, from a basketball standpoint, I'll just get this out of the way quick because all terrible, right? This ends Johnson's career before it starts. This completely puts Pitt's season in the toilet. I mean, those are the two blanket statements. Put a period at the end of each sentence, and that's it. The bigger, the bigger right. news, obviously, here 
the larger news, obviously, here is that Johnson, like I said, his career is over before it even started. I mean, this is the type of thing. Five charges, two of them felony charges. I don't know how he comes back from this. And obviously, due process has to take place. And he has a court date set for October 20th down at, uh, down at the Pittsburgh uh, Municipal Court. He has a court date set, preliminary hearing and everything. And he's going to be put on trial for this. So we'll see how that all envelops. But all around, just a terrible, awful, just gross situation involving Johnson and and obviously, you you hope that the victim is okay, and hope that the victim can make a full recovery in this in this type of situation. But your thoughts, Gary? I mean, it's it's an ongoing problem at the University of Pitt. We we've had we've had quite a few um, stories like this throughout the years. Um, as recently as John Hughley last year, um, assaulting a police officer outside of a club, you know. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, that one was fine and this one isn't. But there was a path out of that last one where, you know, basically the the cop could just kind of downplay it a little bit and they were able to kind of just finagle things and, and he's able to get back on the court. I don't see a path back for this one, nor do I think we should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a terrible situation. But, Corey, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about because – I know you're not as familiar with the history of, of the pit program as I am, but you are very familiar with how coaches get blamed for this sort of thing. And Capel's already going to be teetering on a hot seat this year. Let's just be honest about it. Right or wrong. It is seen as their responsibility to keep these guys noses clean. Mm-hmm. So, how do you strike a balance there? What's the tone Jeff Capel's got to set here? I know he has to keep his mouth shut till the hearing's over at least. Right? Well, so. it's going to be very difficult for him to do that because in about three days here, we will all be in Charlotte, North Carolina on Wednesday for ACC media tip-off for the media days. Yeah. You know, the women's media days are on Tuesday. The men's are on Wednesday. And I will put – any amount of money on the fact that Jeff Capel, whether it comes from local Pittsburgh media or not that are traveling down, which I am included in that, is going to be asked about Dior Johnson. He will be asked about Dior Johnson. I don't know who it's going to be from, but he will be asked about it. and He will have to deflect a question on it, or maybe two, or maybe three, or maybe five. This is going to be the number one topic at tip off. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pit writer. I'm saying that because we are talking about Pitt's best player. We are talking about Pitt's best player that Capel has ever pulled in to this program during his tenure. We are talking about a player that, how do I put this? Could define Capel as a coach here. Would I be too far out to say that? If everything worked out and he, you know, maxed out his potential, yeah, you're right. But on the other end of the spectrum, if Johnson is found guilty of all or some or one of these five charges, then he's done. And for a guy like Jeff Capel, who has said he has vetted Johnson, he has gone through the process with Johnson, he has 
done his best to clear Johnson, and now this yep. happens. What does that say about that whole process that Jeff Cable described, where he cleared Johnson and went through everything? So yeah, I mean, it, at the very least, it 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 puts into question his ability to judge character, right? Which I guess when you're talking about kids is is something. Now I don't even know if that's a fair statement, Corey, but that's what would be taken from it, you know and <laughs> And people will definitely go that route, whether it's fair or not. I just, uh, it's a mess for, for a program that's already been a mess and just something they really didn't need, um, to add to the docket of, of issues they've got. And, and you're right. He's going to get asked the question, but I'd be, I'd be shocked if he didn't just fall back on the pit athletic department standard. We don't comment while the legal proceedings are going on, you know, type comment, because I don't know what else he could say, really. Well, that Um, would be, he can't even, he can't even say something as, as flippant as he's a good young man. Yeah. I mean, that would be the only thing he can't say is no comment until, you know, legal proceedings have come through. So as of right now, I would expect things to be pretty quiet until that October 20th court date the preliminary hearing uh, at the PMC and we'll see what happens from there. Obviously this is going to take a process. This is going to take time. This is going to take many layers to uncover before we get, you know, the truth, a resolution, um, whatever it is. So again, terrible, awful situation all around. And you obviously hope the victim is okay. You hope the victim is recovering well. And we see what happens. This is going to be a long, drawn-out, developing story. Right. And uh, we, we got to take a quick break here, but it's one of those stories that even if somehow he gets off on a technicality, you have to ask, do you want him? And I think that's something that Jeff Capel will have to cross should he manage to finagle his way out of this legal. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Now, listen, we got the darkness out of the way, everybody. It's time. The clouds are parting now. Corey and I have gotten our headspace in a good in a good place now. I've had some more coffee. We're ready to talk about Pitt, Virginia Tech, and boy, was it a tale of two halves, Corey? It really was to me. <laughs> I was scared to death at halftime, like that they were going to somehow blow this game. And then Izzy Abandicanda just went nuts. Yeah, Izzy put the team on his back. It was a 17-16 game at halftime. And then Pitt outscores Virginia Tech 28-13 to in the uh, second half. Of course, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Six touchdown runs by the, re- by the returning RB1 for Pitt. He breaks Tony Dorsett's single-game rushing record, 36 carries, 320 yards, six touchdowns. 
8.9 yards per carry. I don't know what I don't know That's what I nuts. could say. I don't know what I could say that could glorify that stat any further by other than just reading it because it is that special. A week after missing the second half of the Georgia Tech game, which by the way after yesterday's game, Abana Candace said I was kind of pissed I didn't play that second half. I wanted to go back in. <laughs> so you combine that little bit of anger with the fact that Pitt's on an off week, an open week next week, and Izzy let, it, let the tank out. I mean, he emptied the tank. Again, he took 36 carries a week after I think we sat on this podcast and complained because Pitt running backs only took 28 as a team. Yeah. And now is he taking? I mean, he barely got game? any carries last week, and then yep. this week they fed him the the rock continuously. And that eight point nine average is even more impressive when you consider his first five or six carries netted almost nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unreal watching him take off. I mean, the line gets a lot of credit too. He was not touched. No. But he was. Easily getting to the secondary before first contact. It was crazy. Jake Cradle said it. This is a run first team. <laughs> he said it after the game. Yeah, we asked, is this, a, is this a run first team? He said, I think so. I mean, <laughs> look, for what we've talked about with the offensive line, and it's always, it's always fun when they win to do this. You know, Branson Taylor at left tackle, Jake Cradle at center. Blake Zabovic at right guard, Matt Gonsalves and Gabe Hoy rotating at right tackle. Again, four of the five offensive linemen playing either as reserves or out of place. And and yet, you have th- – look, anytime you rush for 320 yards, your offensive line has something to do with it. So it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't all Izzy, of course. And well, this setup in particular has had a week to gel a little bit. They've had a mm-hmm. couple weeks playing together like this. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, you're right to point out they're out of position. We've been doing that for a couple weeks now, mm-hmm. but it's been out of position for a couple weeks now. So they're kind mm-hmm. of like starting to come together a little bit in that format. And boy, if Dixon comes back, I can't even imagine how much better it gets. Yeah. Yeah. You mean Drexel? Drexel, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. Van Corner Warren at left tackle, of course. I mean, we talked about last week about how the timing wasn't there for all of those runs that Pitt attempted last week against Georgia Tech. We talked about the timing of the hole developing and then Izzy Abanacanda and Vincent Davis in the second half hitting the hole. This week, the timing was there. The cohesion was there. The holes were there. Izzy, of course has talent and speed, and Coach Narduzzi said it. He has the pop. Once he hits that hole, he's gone. I mean, this is Pitt's most explosive offensive player that they have. This is their best skill weapon right now in Izzy. And look, the passing game, it wasn't impressive. Did it need to be there, though? Not really. But, of course, you want to see more from the passing game. You want to see it look better. You wanted to see tighter play calling. I think fans were starting to get a little more upset about the play calling than anything else throughout the game, at least when I heard the Boo Birds. So, I would agree with that. Yeah. So it's not all perfect still. And now there's a bye week, and then there's two road tests coming up, including one against North Carolina at the end of the month. So Pitt has a whole week before another football game 
to iron this out still. The passing game still hasn't looked 100%. And I think something we could talk about with that, obviously not having Kanate Bumfield is one thing, but I think we need a little more Gavin Bartholomew in this offense. I think we do too, but I think that's going to take a quarterback that trusts himself a little bit more than what I'm seeing out of Keaton Slovis. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, we talked about the parallels between the Steelers offense and the Pitt offense last last week a little bit, right? And it seems to be a fear to go over the middle. There seems to be just like something missing there, not getting through your progressions. I don't know, man. I, Keaton Slovis, I think, was was billed as somebody that was going to come in here as a ready-made Heisman candidate. And I think now it's a little bit questionable as to whether he even has all the throws in his toolbox. You know, I, I mean, what, what are you seeing on the actual field? Because practice is different than what they do on the actual field. I think I'm seeing it up here in between the space between his ears. Yeah. I think we're seeing it up here. I think we're seeing it from the standpoint of, uh, like you alluded to a bit ago, the confidence, the will, the um, the awareness. I think it's more of the mental game right now with Keaton, with Keaton Slovis and how he's performing. We know he has arm talent. We've seen it before. We know it's there. It's just right. a matter of connecting the dots and connecting and making the reads and going through progressions. I mean, there were plays where he threw it downfield when he shouldn't have. And the few and far in between where he actually did throw it downfield and he shouldn't right. have and he had the open guy underneath. There were times where he threw it underneath and had the guy open downfield. There was a play with Jared Wayne. He had the coverage beat. You know, he had the two two deep safeties beat over the middle, and, and Keaton never looked at him. He checked it down underneath. It was a good play. It went for, went for first down in 10 yards, but, again, he, he had it a touchdown. It could have been 20-25, right, yeah. Yeah, he had a it's, touchdown. It's, so, it's little things like that. It's passes over the middle. Like, when you do target Bartholomew, there's four guys covering him. When You know, it's, it's things like that that it's just a bad read, and – when when you have an offensive coordinator who is throwing a minimal amount of guys out into the patterns to begin with, you would think reading through your progressions would be a little bit easier. He's never got more than two or three, really, that he needs to go yeah. to, plus a check down. And I, I see the check down as option number one for him mentally, even if it's a, a seven-yard behind the line of scrimmage swing pass. And – I don't see him going down to the to the uh, the big guys except for like the Wayne passes, which he's the only guy in the pattern. You know, you got to throw it up there. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's rough. I, I don't know. And hey, it's a college quarterback. I don't expect him to be a pro, but I do expect some of that stuff to kind of get coached up a little bit. So I'd like to see a little bit of improvement after this bye week, where they have a little bit more time to get back in the in the uh, office. I know Pat Narduzzi met with all of his team captains and kind of said, Hey, what do we got to fix here, fellas? You know, before last, before this week. And, you know, it looks like they kind of fixed some of those things. So, I mean, any, anything that you see they're going to target here? Well, 
I think it is a little bit of what we're talking about to start with. It's that it's going to be about getting slow. And I don't think we should have to be talking about this going into a bye week after six games. But getting Keaton more comfortable and showing him, hey, you throw it downfield here. Hey, you need to read this. Hey, you need to see this. And that falls on Frank Signetti at the end of the day. Right. Right. So I think it starts there with the offense. I think it also has a little bit to do with health still. You know, you don't want to you don't want to keep hammering the fact that oh Pitt has injuries, Pitt has injuries, Pitt has injuries. But when your best offensive lineman's down, when your starting center's down, you've had to rotate in running backs, you're missing Rodney Hammond, when Gavin Bartholomew misses part of a game, when Jared Wayne misses a game, when Kanate Mumfield misses a game, that still matters. So I think health is another thing that has to do with this. And Narduzzi alluded after the game, hey, we could be getting some of these guys back after the bye week. He said as much. You know, Rodney Hammond was mentioned by name. He mentioned a couple of offensive linemen, which, again, Warren and Drexel, I don't know who else he'd be talking about. So there's the at least teaser that Narduzzi gave us there about uh, who could potentially be coming back as soon as the Louisville or the North Carolina games. So health is another component of it. I also think with the defense, there's still a little bit to be desired. They give up 403 yeah. yards to, Virgi- to Virginia Tech. And I was going to get into that in the, in the last segment because yeah. I think it leads right from your injury talk. You know, we got Deslin Alexander back. I think he made an impact. So it, it, it really is a little bit of a secondary issue to me. <laughs> and I think that's where we should probably leave it and come back and talk about the defense a little bit. And welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you. And I promised we'd talk a little bit about defense. And Corey, how could I not? When Malachi Thomas runs for 84 yards against you and Grant Wells throws for 277 yards and Caleb Smith you know, catches nine passes for 152 yards, there's an issue there on the defense. Virginia Tech was in this game, and I'm not sure they should have been. Pitt won the time of possession battle. Okay, 32 minutes, 31 seconds to 27 minutes, 29 seconds. But Virginia Tech ran more plays. Virginia Tech ran six more plays than Pitt did. They ran 77 plays. Um, 403 total yards of offense for the Hokies. It's not really Pitt-like to give that, right. uh, that many up. Here's the thing that stands out to me about Pitt's defense and stands out again. Sounds like a real positive term, but this is less of a positive. The Eric Hallett interception to end the first half on the Hail Mary. Yeah. That was Pitt's first turnover since Western Michigan. Now think of how many weeks ago Western Michigan was. We're talking two and a half full games here. 
with yeah. without Pitt creating and generating a turnover. This is a defense that thrives on that concept, that thrives on the creation of turnovers and forcing that. They don't from beat the West Virginia without it. No, they do not. Then and they you don't argue go to overtime against Tennessee without it. Yeah, you argue the the Tennessee game too. They obviously against inferior opponents in Western Michigan and Rhode Island don't really need to win that way. Georgia Tech, you get an ACC ball, you kind of need to force a turnover to win, and of course they didn't, and of course, I mean, that's not the reason why Pitt lost, but you get what I'm saying. Right, yeah. The the key stretch of plays for me that happened in this game on Saturday against Virginia Tech, three in a row, and they completely – Handed the game to Pitt, I think. It was the forced fumble by John Morgan at half field, recovered by Shane Simon, followed by an abandoned candle run to the far sideline in which he was hit late out of bounds, and they were gifted more yards out of it. And then abandoned candle goes in for, I think it was his fifth score of the day. I lost count. But he went in for <laughs> one of his six touchdowns. Um, on the very next play. So boom, boom, boom. Forced turnover, big play, tacked on penalty, touchdown. Right. That's what Pitt thrives on. So really, until that was generated, you kind of felt like Pitt's offense was running through mud again. You, you brought up the Steelers pre-Kenny Pickett. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. We're recording before the Steeler game on Sunday. We're playing um, Buffalo. We know what's going to happen. Oh, boy. Uh, get, the, get the tables. If I'm wrong, great, but get the tables. Uh, but anyway, so Pitt's calling card on defense is generating turnovers and scoring off of them and making the opponent play clean football and forcing them to miss. We haven't seen that the last two and a half games, and once we actually got uh, the interception at halftime, the positive there is – what, uh, Virginia Tech didn't score a touchdown. So right. the interception's fine. But the real substantial turnover of the two that Pitt forced was that Morgan fumble that turned Absolutely. into the Izzy touchdown. And I would say on, on defense, I I worry a little bit about some things I'm seeing with Savassier Dennis. I think he's playing great. But He's kind of got to keep his cool a little better, man. He he is really pushing the envelope of of what you can do on a football field without getting thrown out. I mean, he got into it with a ref yesterday a little bit, and he's kind of lucky he didn't get booted. Well, he didn't play honest. the second half. I, yeah, he didn't play the second he, half. He really and truly needs to just cool his jets a little bit, you know, <laughs> like just play your game. Yeah, I mean, I get it, like. You're in kind of a weird position if you're Pitt because you're coming off that Georgia Tech loss and probably never should have happened to begin with. You're probably frustrated a bit over it. You're probably playing with a little bit more aggressiveness and a little bit more intensity. And I'm sure this whole week at Pitt practice from, again, I I only saw a little portion of it this week, but I'm sure this week at Pitt practice was not easy on the players from – from a standpoint of, hey, get your butts in gear, right? So yeah, I get it with Servasier. He plays with passion. He plays with energy. 
He plays with grit. He is a vocal guy. He is a, he wears his heart on his sleeve sometimes. He doesn't do that all the time. I will say that. Sarasia yeah. usually keeps his cool. And a little bit uncharacteristic-like from him on yeah. Saturday, which is a good and a bad thing. There's firing your team up, and then there's getting tossed. <laughs> or or exactly. entering that territory of the ref's going to throw you out. He so, was very close, and he's a guy that mm-hmm. that defense just can't afford to lose. That's and, and I would hate to see it done self-inflicted like that. Yeah. And I had one more point here, and this may come across as an excuse, but I kind of wanted to just get your take on it. It's awesome what Izzy Abanacanda did. But when you have that many splash plays, you aren't going to run as many plays as the other team. And you are going to keep your defense on the field a disproportionate amount of the time. Because really, if you look at this game closely, pretty much any time a Banacanda didn't score, they punted. So like, you're you're basically asking your defense to do some heavy lifting. You are. And to be fair, okay, looking at the drive chart right now, punt, touchdown, punt, interception, touchdown, field goal. Uh, That is the first six. And then a punt. So that takes us through the first half. So two touchdown drives, a field goal, two punts, and an interception. That's not bad. Second half, you go punt, touchdown, touchdown, turnover on downs, two punts, two touchdowns, another punt, end of game. So second half, you punt one, two, three, four times. You score four times, and then you turn it over on downs. Even then, that's not really a bad ratio. In terms it's not of how a bad much- ratio, but if you run four plays before Izzy takes off through a hole and runs for 55 yards and scores, sure. and your defense has only been off of the field for five minutes, that's when you can start to see your defense wear down through the success of the offense. It almost swings mm-hmm. back the other direction. It's almost that's like uh, when you get a pick six, it almost penalizes your defense a little bit. Like you mm-hmm. get that score but you're putting them right back out on the field, right? <laughs> so right. Sometimes if that if that came late after a long sustained drive, you can almost guarantee that next drive is going to be real rough. I count 17 drives from Pitt on Saturday. How many of them went over what to call it six plays? That would in, that would infer you have a third down, you renew a first down, you get three more plays. How many went over six? 1 2 Three, four, five, five out of the 17 went over six plays. Yeah. So that's to your point. You know, Pitt's getting off the field quickly. You know, three play drive, three play drive, two play drive, three, 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 two, one, and one. And they had a five in there as well. Two fives in yeah. there. So, so again, it's not a bad credit. thing, of course, that he's scoring. It's mm-hmm. just sometimes I think we kind of take that off of the, the plate. Oh, that was a successful score. We, you know, well, we, we got it. The drive was successful. Yeah. But you're only on the field for a couple minutes. You could kill your defense that way too. 
You know, you can kill them with kindness just the same way as you can being inept. Well, here's here's another thing that validates your point. Pitt's longest drive in the second half took two minutes and 47 seconds off the clock. In the first half, their longest drive and their longest drive of the game was the second one of the game. It was a 12-play, 95-yard drive that went five minutes and 13 seconds. So you want more of that, obviously. They went seven. They went 75 yards on seven plays and 331. That's positive. They went seven, They went 56 yards on seven plays and 220. That resulted in a touchdown. Um, they went 41 yards and six plays at 247 in the second half. That was a turnover on downs. Um, the touchdown drives on which Abanacanda scored, 513, 331. Those were both in the first half. In the second half, though, 140, 220, 34 seconds, and 12 seconds. So, yes, you want the offense to be able to find more of a rhythm and to cycle through its plays and to keep the defense off the field. And Keith Slovis, after the game, he took the podium, and Jake Cradle said this kind of too, where they thought Pitt's offense was better at finding rhythm. And having the mm-hmm. splash plays for better or worse, affects that. So you have to you have to take into account just how bad it looked against Georgia Tech and then pull it right. back to how it looked against Virginia Tech. The splash plays obviously are one thing, but there were actually instances, multiple instances, where Pitt's offense looked fine. There were also some instances where it did not. So we're not going right. to say everything's fixed, but – you have to think that over the bye week, Pitt's going to be able to f- remedy some of these and and to get the cart back on the tracks because if their offense, if it slowly but surely develops, that's one thing, but you don't want it to be too late in the season before we're talking about, Absolutely. oh, it's eliminated from the Coastal and all of that. And these next few games coming up are huge. You know, Louisville, North Carolina, uh, you got Syracuse on the horizon. So some pretty, pretty large games coming up. Yeah, I mean, if anything, um, I just wanted to point it out because I don't think too many people think that way. And it's just something that I noticed yet when I was watching the game. Just It felt like the defense was on the field constantly, and there was no way I could really even complain about it. <laughs> I just wanted to point it out, that's all. Well, it's so fair. anything it's else from you out. today, brother? I think there's something magical about Pitt having their bye week when they do. And I'm yeah. going to be posting my mid-season report cards on our website soon, so check that out. Um, I think there's something to be said about the timing that Pitts have at this bye week. I think this is like they say that you don't want to go on the bye when you when like you're hot or when you don't need it. I think Pitt needs one right now, so I think they're looking forward to a much needed week rest. I know Izzy Bandicanda is. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think it's time for a good break, and hopefully they come out of this with with Hammond back, and you know they can be a little bit of a two headed monster back there again. But regardless, hey, good week. I know it started out painful, but good show. I think we rescued it at the end, there, brothers. <laughs> I think so too. We'll find out, um, of course, what happens with all of that. Yeah. Without further ado, H two P, everybody. <laughs>